Welcome to the Anil Rose Podcast. My name is Ina Rose, and today we're going to be discussing the sexualization of Asian women in America. It is widely known that most Asian cultures are more reserved and proper than our American culture. However, Asian women being portrayed as quiet and demure has somehow coincided with being they're sexually submissive in the bedroom, which has grossly enough become a fetish for a significant number of men in this country. Why and how did this fetishization come to be, and why is it still a thing today? My guest speakers today will speak on these burning questions and their experiences as being Asian women in America. As I conducted research on this topic, I found an actual name for having an Asian fetish. Yellow fever. The most common occurrence we see of yellow fever in the United States is white Caucasian men fetishizing Asian women with East Asian features. As a result, us Asian women have to ask ourselves, is he attracted to me or is he attracted to my Asian-ness? To go more in depth with how Asian fetishes currently affect Asian women in America today, we have Callie Estocapio. Callie is a Filipino-American who graduated from the University of Portland with a degree in organizational communications. During her time at the university is where she developed an interest and passion in studying gender and race issues. Thank you so much for joining us today, Callie. Yeah, thank you for having me again, Nina. Yeah, you're welcome. So when we talk about Asian fetishes, fetishes, what is the image men who have this strive for and looking for an Asian woman? I think there's kind of a very general like blueprint of uh, the the typical Asian woman that men look for, especially with a man with an Asian fetish. Um, like we can go into appearances and kind of the the general like ideologies and value of what they expect of an Asian woman. Um, but for the most part, I feel like they look for like cute and petite and kind of like um, more submissive in a sense where um, men will be able to be able to dominate and dominate in these type of situations because um, I think more than what they're looking for in a woman is what they're looking for in themselves. And like for like patriarchal society and for like white dominant society, men, are looking for power and control and it's kind of this symbiotic but very toxic and harmful relationship that that like works together for some reason in this like very specific type of situation but i feel like this type of opposites attract type of thing is mainly because men are seeking power and control in this type of society where they where we achieve like accept success or like where we're winning and they feel like they can achieve this type of success or wins through um, power and control of these type of women who they consider to be um, submissive and um, small and dainty and brown or what did, what did they call it? There was this one phrase that I read in a book, but it was um, little brown fucking machine powered by rice. So it's like this hypersexualized type of thing, but also um, it is a, a power dominant type of thing too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've, I've never heard that term before, but it's, <laughs> it's sad that it's so fitting. <laughs> right. What are the ba oh and you kind of covered this um what are the basic asian female stereotypes hollywood keeps perpetuating yeah i think um for me the two biggest ones um 
would be um would be like the dragon lady stereotype and like the lotus blossom flower which are kind of like two different types of personalities that can be combined into one to create the ideal uh, fetishized Asian woman. But like um, the dragon lady is someone who is um, hypersexualized, who is all about sex, all about sex, all about um, representing their sexuality um, in a kind of enticing way to men, um, always being super like provocative or um, always looking sexy and then um on the other hand you have like the lotus lotus blossom flower um who is more demure and kind of like hides her sexuality but in a like secretive mysterious way that almost in the opposite like intensifies your sexuality which makes them look more enticing i guess but i feel like that's kind of the two hollywood stereotypes that are very prominent um which all just like encapsulates how Hollywood is trying to sell sex, no matter the race, no matter the gender, but definitely for like female women seen in on screen and in film, it's, it's all about their appearances and how they are there to be a supportive role to men rather than the main character or the main role with the main story plot line and everything like that. Yeah, I like how you brought up how they're usually supporting roles. Um, there's not many like Asian female leading ladies that we're seeing these days. So I love that you brought that up. Mm-hmm. What obstacles do Asian women today experience within dating in our culture and what have been your experiences? Yeah, um, I feel like we've touched on this a little bit, but I feel like um, some of the obstacles we face is kind of within our own identities um how we present ourselves um to other people whether we're dating them or whether it's a different type of relationship there's always something in the forefront of your mind asking yourself oh do they like me because i am me or because my personality or because they're trying to portray um portray my identity as being an asian woman or if they have some sort of yellow fever or Asian fetish. Um, So it's kind of like you're battling yourself and fighting for the identity that you want them to see. But if this person isn't able to look past like you being, you being absolutely Asian or you being like something that they fetishize, um, it's gonna be a hard thing to kind of maneuver around. Um, but I feel like in my own experiences, um, like being in the dating scene, it's definitely gone in multiple directions. Um, me, myself, I kind of tried to, I, I have tried to like suppress the fact that even though like you can tell that I'm Asian, but like suppress the fact that I'm Asian to kind of talk about different things and find out different interests about people, but it's definitely moved in the direction where it would automatically just talk about my ethnicity or talk about how I'm Asian. And um, even out of dating experiences, like being at work um, in my job, it's definitely my customers are like white dominant. And like my first interactions with them, like this one man saw me like walking around our floor and he comes up to me and he's like, oh, konnichiwa. And I was like, excuse me? 
because like I at first was like what what does konnichiwa mean I was like oh that's Japanese and I'm like oh sorry I'm not Japanese sounds like I'm I'm Filipino and he was like oh so like are you in nursing school right now um where are you going to school and I was like no I'm not going to nursing school I'm not doing any of that but it's just like these types of uncomfortable situations even though they're not at their extreme they make you um they make you subconsciously think about your own identity and how you represent yourself and um, whether you feel like you need to change how you represent yourself, even though that shouldn't necessarily be the thing that you do, but what society is forcing you to do um, really challenges you and adds to like the trauma of what you've gone through within your life. Yeah. I think it's definitely kind of like an unspoken thing that as, you know, Asian women, we always wonder with our identity if somebody is dating us because they find our ethnicity super attractive or like they like us as a person. And like, yeah, it's definitely something that a lot of us has experienced, but like, I don't think we really talk about it out in the open. So I'm glad we're having this discussion. Right. Yeah. I feel like it's something that you you can't really put your finger, like you can't put your finger on it. You can talk about it, but there's no like complete explicit or concrete like definition or thing that you can say like, oh, this is this is racial fetishization or this is like a man like who has yellow fever or something like that. It's such like a gray area. Mm -hmm. um, but I feel like the more that we talk about it, the more we're able to kind of identify it in ways and also try to figure out solutions or at least different ways that we can think of it. Yeah. Or at least kind of recognize the warning signs right. so we're not too deep into our relationship before we realize they kind of like put us on an ethnic pedestal and like usually you know something is off. You're yeah. kind of like, hmm, okay, I don't know if he actually likes me for me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I um, feel like, like we, what we've kind of mentioned before, but like pornography or other sites of media, like even um, kind of the trend of anime has affected oh. that, at least for me. Um, I feel like in certain situations where I was dating um, men that they've definitely tried to portray me or kind of uh, idealize a thought of me being a certain type of way or a certain person from something that they've watched before and then there's me trying to like navigate in my brain like oh do they just like me because they think I'm this or like me being like oh they only like me because they think I'm this and then feeling like the only way you can like retrieve love or retrieve a relationship is to be someone that you're not um, which is super damaging. Or having to like constantly talk about you have other things to talk about. Yeah. How difficult is it to embrace your own culture when it is exotified in our society? Yeah, I feel like um, when your culture is exotified by society, um, again, you kind of try to put yourself in the white default where um, 
because your culture is being exotified, you yourself are going to be exotified by society. And for you to be able to kind of navigate and, I don't know, be a part of society without feeling like you're being either put on a pedestal or being sexualized or being fetishized. You have to adopt a different type of culture, I guess, something that isn't even your own. Um, I feel like in some ways, I, even though I identify as being Filipino-American, I feel like I fully don't fit into this kind of, into this role because of battling with like, I don't know, how women and Asian females are perceived here in America. I feel like I've kind of gone down this like middle path where like, yeah, I'm Asian, but also I don't, I don't have to fully think of myself as only being Asian. Like I'm also, I'm also a woman who, who went to school or is working or has specific type of friends. Um, but I feel like it's hard to fully embrace your culture or feel like you are a part of your culture when it is being fetishized or exotified. Yeah, I think it's very tricky waters to like embrace your culture when people would just sexualize that. And it's, it's very uncomfortable and uneasy to just try to do something that is your right essentially to embrace your culture and then people just see it as like a sexualized like fetish or like they're they that's something that turns them on that's the part Mm -hmm. that really makes me uncomfortable yeah um it definitely makes me uncomfortable and to the points where I would like lose my confidence in myself um even just like externally the way I dress or like at least the way I speak to different people um, depending on who they are, like if they were white or if they were a person of color or if they were a person of my own culture, I definitely speak to them differently. Like um, my tone of voice, um, like I said, the way that I dress or at least the way I feel comfortable in the way that I dress is going to be different depending on like who I'm talking to. That's a good point. How much uh, you kind of outwardly expressing your culture depends on how comfortable you feel with people. Right. And that, um, in your opinion, what can we as a society do to reject and diminish Asian fetishes? What can allies do to help? I think the most important thing um, for people is to not be comfortable with with what is happening um, um, about Asian fetishes, yellow fever, hypersexualization. Um, I think what people need to do is step out of their comfort zones. Like if they're watching, if they're watching a certain TV show or watching a certain movie and they see something that makes them feel uncomfortable, like we don't just like go through the movie without thinking about it. Like think to yourself, like, oh, why did I think that was weird? Why did I think that was uncomfortable? Um, But just like challenging yourself to see things in different perspectives and different lights, because I think that's the closest we can do to connect to people of marginalized groups because um, especially for someone who's being marginalized, they're not, they're not thinking that they're okay with this. They're thinking like, why is this happening to me? Why are people treating me this way? Why are they treating my community of people this way? Um, so I think we just have to get out of our comfort zones and put our thinking caps on. 
Um, but also um, just listening to and giving power to different groups of people as well is how we're going to change the narrative because we have to, I mean, to make change, we kind of do have to look up to leaders and look up to having different people in power to be able to change the narratives that we're trying to create and the perspectives that we're trying to create. Yeah, definitely. I like the idea of like having leaders to look up to and to kind of like start that change. Cause I feel like collectively all of us, we, we do want the change. It's just like, how do you start it? Where do we start? How do we get the discussion ball rolling? Right, exactly. All right. Well, thank you so much for being on our season two episode. We always enjoy having you, Callie. Thank you, Nina. I'm always happy to be here. Absolutely. Thank you. Take care. You too. To give us a deeper understanding of experiences being sexualized due to being Asian and its challenges, we have Kia Yang. Kia Yang is a hairstylist here in the Twin Cities, model and public figure. Thank you so much for joining us today, Kia. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited. Awesome. So what age were you when you first realized you were being sexualized for being Asian? I would say I was pretty young. I, I think it was even younger now that I'm an adult and I'm thinking back about it. But when it first happened, I was so young that I didn't realize I was being sexualized. So I would say probably... In like later years of elementary school, like maybe fifth or sixth grade, but I didn't know it then. I just thought that they were merely like complimenting me. You know what I mean? And then when I started to realize, cause you know, as you get older and you become like a teenager and stuff, then you start to realize like, oh, that was de definitely like a sexual comment um, was, I would say like in my seventh or eighth grade years when I was like, oh, I definitely understood what that meant. Um, and, you know, it came from either other peers who were Asian or non-Asian, or it sometimes came from adult men that were like, oh, you're so pretty for like an Asian girl or like, oh my gosh, like you're going to be, especially when I was younger, it's like, you're going to be super pretty when you get older. Like it was really uncomfortable, you know, from adult men. Um, so I would say elementary, later years of elementary school. And then when I finally like it clicked in my head that I was being sexualized was middle school. Okay. Yeah. So it started really young for you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It probably even started younger. You just weren't like old enough to realize it. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. That's what I was saying. Like, I think looking back now, it definitely started younger, but I, you know, when you're a kid, you don't realize what they're really saying to you. You're just kind of like, oh, okay. Right. And now as an adult, I'm like, oh, that was not appropriate. No, definitely not. Um, did being sexualized affect relationships and dating for you? Yes. Cause then I feel like being sexualized as an Asian woman, I think, especially like as an Asian woman, I think they, they, always have that stereotype of you're going to be like this sweet docile kind of exotic woman who, especially like being Eastern Asian, um, you're really, what's the word? Exotified? Exotify you. And they exact, they, they have this image of like you being docile and like 
little and cute and um, we nod our head and we bow our heads to our spouse or our significant other. And I feel like, especially dating when I was in high school, that came out a lot. Um, because if I liked, you know, a white boy, a, you know, sometimes they would say, oh, Kia's gonna be like that perfect cute little anime girl. Or like, she's gonna be like the girl who's just like, gonna listen to you. And like, I don't know, they just made me feel uncomfortable when I would have relationships with, um, especially like white teenage boys in my high school years. Cause then they made me feel like that image of that anime girl or that image of um, being this like sweet girl who didn't really talk back was what they were expecting of me. And then it kind of turned me off from like dating outside of my ethnicity or my race. That makes a lot of sense, yeah. There's definitely this image of like um, East Asian women being like quiet mm -hmm. and uh, they don't really stand up for themselves. They kind of just let, let like men run their relationships, it sounds like. Yes. And I feel like when I was in high school, when I started to take notice more of other boys outside of my ethnicity and my race, I often felt like if the, the guy that I liked didn't say it to me, his friends would make jokes about it. And then it would turn me off from like wanting to date them. And then it would turn me off from like, because... There's also this really sick, weird part of um, sexualizing Asian women that's almost like pedophilia. Um, I feel like they think a lot that like we're small, right? We're petite. They often think that we have this childish look to us where like we don't age, but like in a weird pedophile way. Um, and so I feel like a lot of times uh, I wasn't attractive in the way that a girl or a woman should be because they saw me like there's like this weird term for it but it's like lolly meaning like lolita or it's like a weird oh. it's like a weird thing um but it's where like men are attracted to asian women who look like kids yeah the lolita look yes um, and it's not meant, like the Lolita fashion isn't meant to be like sexualized like that. But then there are men out there who look for Asian women who look like kids. And it's like a pedophile thing. And I always like, because sometimes it was like said to me as a teenager, I started to feel like I wasn't as attractive either because then now they're looking at me like a kid and I didn't want to, I'm, it's like, it's a disgusting feeling. Like I'm not a kid and I want to be looked at like as my age, um, but they're sexualizing me as an Asian child, youth, basically. Yeah, like a youthful looking, you know, woman. Yes. They kind of want you to fit like this like weird fetish that they have for like Asian girls. Yes. Oh, that's very uncomfortable. Oh. Yep. Um, do you find it difficult to preserve your ethnic identity that men fetishize? I feel like it was a lot harder when I was younger. Now that I'm coming into my own as an adult, um, I really don't care what men think. <laughs> but I feel like when I was younger, it was really hard because, you know, growing up in Asian American and Hmong American, you're very stuck between two worlds with cultural identity. You know, I, one, on one hand, I feel very American. On the other hand, like I'm definitely Hmong. And 
you know, Asian beauty standards are very different. Like my mom always wanted me to have long black hair. My mom always wanted me to have fair skin. Like colorism is a huge thing in Asian culture. Um, whereas like an American standard of beauty, like it was very like, you have to look, you know, small waist, like, but be skinny, but also be thick and curvy. Like it was just all sorts of weird and um, on top of the beauty standards, I feel like just cultural standards is very weird, like different. Like my Hmong side is very like Hmong girls, you know, we do a lot of the house chores and we do a lot of like things like taking care of our brothers and sisters and siblings and it's very family oriented. And like on the American side, like I just wanted to be another normal American teenager where it was like, I want to like hang out with my friends and I want to like, you know, join clubs and things like that. Um, is it difficult to preserve your an ethnic identity that men fetishize? I find that it is hard because um, some of the things like, you know, I'm, I'm very Hmong on one side and I'm very American on the other. So my cultural identity has always been very skewed and very blended. Um, and I feel like some of the things that we practice in the Hmong culture or even in the Asian culture is extremely sexualized by men. You know, like it's expected of Hmong girls to take care of their siblings to babysit. It's expected of Hmong girls to learn how to do the cooking, the cleaning. Um, it's expected of Hmong girls to not really ask questions of our elders and to be polite, to be sweet. And that fits that role of um, what men sexualize in the Asian like culture. And so it's really hard for me to embrace that. And I really don't, like growing up, I haven't really embraced that. And, you know, I don't think women should unless they want to, but it's, it's a dying part of our culture. But nonetheless, it's a culture I grew up with, um, you know, Hmong American women these days don't really fit into that mold anymore. And we're not living on, in the mountains on the farms, taking care of like 14 kids and doing all the cooking and cleaning. Uh, we're working women now, but you know, some of us still do do that. Like I learned how to cook when I was like eight and I learned how to do dishes when I was even younger. Like, and like when men hear that, they're just like, oh, you're going to be like, it's so gross, but they're like, you're going to be such a good wifey, like your wifey material. And it's like, I'm sorry, but like cooking and cleaning is a life skill. <laughs> so it, it has been hard because there are certain things, like I said, that fits into that mold of being docile, learning how to cook and clean and not really asking questions. And I haven't really embraced that part of my culture. And like I said, it's a dying part of the culture, but there are some things that have been hard for me to embrace, uh, especially with Eastern Asian beauty standards, like and colorism, like, you know, they want us to be very light, even in the Asian culture. Like my mom has always told me like, oh, stay out of the sun and you want you to have white pale skin and you want to have long black hair. And I think that's very sexualized too, on the other hand, by some men where it's like, you know, she's got that long, thick Asian silky hair. And so, I mean, here I am with colorful hair and I'm just like trying to break out of the mold. So yeah, it, it has been hard. Yeah, I would say that's very, I'm happy to hear that it's a dying part of the culture, though, yeah. that, you know, East Asian women especially are embracing powerful roles instead of being those docile, like, house servants, you know? Yes. That's awesome. Do you think any of your followers have an Asian fetish? Yes. 
for sure. Um, a lot of them. Uh, I actually came across a guy who was saying that, like he he was pretending to be Asian, and then I looked closer at his photos, and I was like, this guy is white, and. Mm-hmm. He's pretending to be Asian and it was very uncomfortable. It's a very uncomfortable feeling when someone is, I don't know if he's doing it to be able to talk to Asian girls or whatever, um, but uncomfortable. And I know there are men out there who have personally messaged me um, and they'll start off with like, oh, I love your message. I love what you're doing. And then they're like, oh, you're like such a, and these are non-Asian men who are just like, you're such a beautiful Asian woman. Like, and then they'll get into like the weird side of like, can you sell me pictures of like your feet? And it's like, what? Ew. So it's, it's very hard to decipher if people are following me for my message and like my platform or people are following me because I fit into their fetish of what they want from an Asian woman, you know? Yeah. It's pretty challenging to try to sort them out. Yes. Do you often get messages from followers that you feel like have that fetish? Like, have you had experiences like that? Um, I've had a few, not a lot. A lot of my messages from followers have been from like girls and women who are, you know, feel empowered or inspired. And maybe like once a year, I'll get like two messages from men who are just like, oh, you inspire me and you're so like cool. And then it's like, but on the other hand, like it gets creepy really quick. It's like, on the other hand, you're like this beautiful Asian woman and you're everything I want in a girl. And, you know, it's just, it gets really weird, but it's, it's not often. It's probably like once or twice a year. Um, most of the times my followers are other young Asian women. That's good. Yeah. Really good that you're not bombarded. Oh no. Oh, that's good. (laughs) (laughs) What do you think needs to happen for Asian women to stop being sexualized or seen only as an ethnic fetish in the USA? You know, I think that one's really hard because there's, a lot of things that have played into that role of fetishizing Asian women. I think, um, I never saw this play, but everybody talks about that. I think it was like Madam Butterfly or something. Uh, you know, that one, I think everyone talks about a lot. And I think it was even written, it was written by like a, a white guy, I think. Um, I think it's Madam Butterfly. Don't quote me on this, but it's Madam something. And I think it's, it's Madam Butterfly. Yeah. And it's like a play. And I think it was like written by a white guy, actually. And it fetishizes Asian women. Um, and I think it goes even further. You know, I read at a certain point that when um, American men were in like the Korean War or they were in overseas during the Vietnam War, um, they, women, the Asian women in those countries would make themselves more docile and a certain type of way to basically appeal to Asian men. And I don't know if the history and this is correct, but it was basically prostituting. And I feel like because of that, it was kind of set for Asian, for American men and um, white males to think that this is what Asian women are like, but it was it was a business and uh, sometimes not even a business, it was sex trafficking. It was 
you know, it was women forced into this, um, as we know how some sex work businesses go. Um, and I feel like it, it just goes so deep that for us to really stop it is, I think we need to educate people and really just stop men when they compliment us a certain way. Because when I was younger, if people told me that I was like a cute little girl, like cute little Asian girl, or I think what I hear a lot of times is sometimes it's like not even, I don't know, it was like, oh, you have such big, beautiful eyes for an Asian girl. And it's like, so Asian girls can't have big, beautiful eyes. You know, like I used to be like, oh, thank you. But like, I think another thing that we can do as women ourselves is not accept those as compliments. Cause at the end of the day, like deeply rooted, they're not compliments. Even when they're like, oh, she's so like shy and cute. Like, cause that's also a fetish, like that timid, shy, cute type of ordeal is a fetish. And that's not a compliment, you know, not accepting those compliments and saying, hey, that's actually that's a backhanded compliment and that's not okay. Not accepting that and educating them why on them, why that's like detrimental. Um, but for sure, education and stopping it in, I don't know if this is ever going to be possible, but stopping it in mainstream media and in the sex industry, because there's a huge industry in Asian fetishes in the porn industry. And this just has to be said. And it, it plays up that uh, that that stereotype, and it feeds to the these men who have this fetish, um, and it it is detrimental to Asian women because that's not who we are. That's not our identity. We aren't just these sex toys that are docile and will you know be quiet and things like that. I wholeheartedly agree with you on that. And it's great that we do have some like um, Asian female comedians out there who are kind of like calling this sexism out and calling the fetish out. So I think that helps as well. Yes. Oh, for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, do you feel like there, aside from comedy, do you feel like it would help to have more like radio media representations of Asian females, like empowered strong representations? Yes, and I think even more so because right now is the age of in, uh, social media influencers right now. Like, you know, I, I think it's amazing to have um, women that are like amazing, like Constance Wu and all like things like that and that have like social, like have media uh, representation. But I've, I've noticed because I'm in the hair industry, I've noticed that a lot of young girls, impressionable young girls, don't really follow that celebrity or celebrities or uh, women who are in politics. They're following the influencer on Instagram. They're following the influencer on TikTok. And sometimes those women on that platform, those platforms are very detrimental too, because they do fall, you know, they're a business, they're a brand. And sometimes they brand themselves as those fetishes. And oh. I think it says, a lot to their impressionable young audience that this is okay to be this way, to feed into this. Um, because look at me, I'm living a glamorous life doing it. That's a really good point. I didn't even think about the influencers that are out there that are actually like branding themselves as the fetish and they're getting quite a lot of income from it. Yes. And I mean, like, 
I, it's hard for me to say, don't do this because like, yes, everyone needs to eat. Everyone needs to put money on the table and food on the table, roof over our heads. But it's, it's very harmful to Asian women. And, you know, with them being Asian women themselves, it's very harmful to them. And it's, it can be dangerous. Uh, it is dangerous. You know, I've had, and this was when I was really, really young. I've had um, a young man be basically obsessed with me because I was Asian and he started sending me lots and lots of gifts and my mom and my dad and I had to like go to the authorities like it gives them this idea that like we they can do this to us and it's okay you know and they can pray it's it's they're preying on us and somebody with a huge platform with like millions of followers you know saying that this this is how we are and sexualizing it to themselves it's it's harmful to us asian women it's harmful to young asian women it's it's harmful to young little girls because there are some there are some weird people out there who it doesn't stop at a fantasy they want it to be real life you know and they can hurt us and traumatize us it's true i agree with you on that it they do try to pursue this fantasy and get it to come alive. And it puts all of us at risk. Mm -hmm. It's very dangerous. You don't know what they're capable of. Like I said, this, this young man back, man back then, he somehow found out where my parents lived. Like it was, it was pretty extreme. He found out where my parents lived. He found out where my workplace was. And it was this, he wanted in his mind, like I was his, docile little Asian girlfriend and he it, I never spoke more than two words to him and he just wanted to live that fantasy so bad and it's dangerous because even though he was harassing me in that way it could have climaxed it couldn't got worse and he could have physically harmed me and, it, and I know of other women who have gotten physically harmed because certain men want to live out their fantasy and they're going to live it out whether you say yes or no and it's dangerous for people with such a huge following to say it's okay to be this way to feed the fetish while these other men are like yeah this they're totally okay with it we can do it without their consent you know that's huge right there i like that you pointed that out that that's what it does when they when they basically say it's okay they're empowering men to be like oh well consent doesn't matter at this point that's exactly. a huge statement right there do you have any final thoughts you'd like to share with our viewers? Um, you know, I would say that for men and women themselves, really check yourselves about those biases about Asian women um, and that, that sexualization of Asian women. Because I've even heard, I've heard it from other women as well about Asian women. Um, and I've heard it from men and sometimes it just comes out because they've heard it somewhere else it's like in pop culture or something and really check yourself like why do i think it's okay to say this why do i think it's okay to joke about it um because jokes always even though it's a joke there's always a little bit of truth in it maybe you believe in it or maybe you know what i mean like it's not all fun and games all the time with a joke um sometimes truths my friend always say sometimes some little truths come out in jokes um, and check yourself, ask yourself why you feel the need to say it to another woman or why you feel as a man, you feel the need to say it or assert yourself over Asian women. Um, 
And then, you know, really try to ask Asian women about our experiences, listen to our stories and get to know us, you know, cause we're human just like anyone else. We have different likes, dislikes and personalities and we don't fit into this mold where it's not, there's not a factory out there making cookie cutter versions of Asian women where we're all like this, you know, we're all different and get to know us, hear our stories and know that it's not okay and we're not comfortable with it. That's awesome right there. Yeah, I think that's great advice for our viewers. Yeah. All right, Kia, thank you so much for being on our podcast today. It was really great having you. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. I enjoyed it. Of course. Take care. Have a good day. Finally, Asian women in America are not the stereotypes that men with Asian fetishes desire. And continually spreading this mentality is not only unrealistic, it's harmful. Most Asian women have assimilated into American culture where we can be expressive and successful by ourselves. What we can do with this knowledge is change the model minority narrative. Now we've covered some heavy content today and mental health is important no matter who you are or where you're at in life. So before rolling credits, there'll be mental health resources to call or text. Thank you for watching the Nail Rose podcast. Tune in for a next episode discussing the sexualization of indigenous women in America with Don Barocker and Amy Arndt. And remember, it's not sexy, it's racist. Take care.